Now, this morning, as we dive into Matthew chapter 25, we're in the middle of uh, a parable that's in a set of teaching in Matthew 24 and 25, which is where Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now he's at the end of his earthly ministry. He knows that he's about to return to the Father, and in his absence, he's giving them a set of realities, a set of instructions for how they're to live out their faith in him without his physical presence. And he's giving them a warning in Matthew 24 and 25 that, yes, I'm going away, but I'm also coming back. Now, in the meantime, live in such a way as to prepare for my return. And so we look at, this is not our text, but this sets the stage for it. But in Matthew 24, in verse 45, Jesus says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And so Jesus is in the stage saying, hey, the Lord, the master has given you responsibility as his servants. Good for you if when the master returns, he comes back and finds you doing what he has given you to do. It will be good for you, i.e., you want to be doing these things as servants of the master. And then he continues, though. He says, truly, I tell you, he will then put him in charge of all his possessions. So there's going to be an added to because of the faithfulness. But verse 48, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Now, whether you take that literally or figuratively, the point is the same. The takeaway is the same. And woe to the person who claims to follow Jesus and doesn't take seriously the responsibility that Jesus has given you. To say, my master's a long way off. He's not coming anytime soon. I don't need to take seriously the life that he's called me to. The life that produces the fruit that he expects to see. And Jesus says, man, woe to you on that day if that is you. And in light of that little teaching, then he gives three parables to help break out various aspects of that understanding. And the first one, which is not ours, but in Matthew 25, it's the parable of the ten virgins. And so the the principle behind that parable is this. You don't know when the master is going to return, right? None of us knows when Jesus is coming back. But the point is in that parable, be ready for it. Prepare in such a way as to be ready for when Christ returns. Don't get caught off guard with it. And then the third parable, the one after ours, is the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus talks about, hey, when I come back, I'm coming back in my glory, and I'm coming back to execute some some judgment. And I'm going to be the one who makes a decision between the sheep and the goats, those who I will welcome in, those who took faith seriously and the lifestyle I called them to live, they took it seriously. They manifested their faith in righteous 
deeds of action. And Jesus says, they will be welcomed in. And he says, but woe to you again, those in the, the goats metaphorically. You didn't take what you called faith and manifest it into action. And so because of that, because you didn't have faith that manifested into a lifestyle of righteousness, I don't know you. And then in the midst of those two, we find our parable this morning. And so with that long introduction, let's look at Matthew 25, starting off in verse 14. Scripture says this, Again, it will be like a man going away on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to their ability. And then he went on his journey. Now the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. You see, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. So you see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So now take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we just celebrate you this morning, as we do every Sunday morning. We gather together as your people. We gather together to be with one another, but of course, as always, Lord, to keep you in the midst of us, to keep your name raised high above our own or any other. And we come now before you in worship through your word, and we say we submit to your teachings. As difficult as they may be, as challenging as they may be to live out, we come before you with earnest hearts and faith, Lord, and we want to be people who respond in obedience to you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, as you invite us into a conversation about stewardship of our lives, I pray, Lord, that we would come humbly, that your spirit would speak to us in powerful, life-changing ways, that we would leave this place spurred up or stirred up to be more faithful followers of you. 
Lord Jesus, we love you, and it's for your glory that we pray all these things, and all God's people pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive into the text. All right, we're going to be kind of focusing on the first couple verses, and we're going to be sitting with those for most of our time this morning. But look at verse 14, the way that Jesus opens up the parable. And this is what he says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants, and listen to what Jesus does, and he entrusts his wealth to them. And so this morning, that's the issue that is on the table for all of us as followers of Jesus or people who are exploring faith in Jesus. It's, it's what Jesus is putting on the table right now. And it's what we in the church refer to as stewardship. Right, you've heard that word multiple times already this morning. Now, stewardship can mean many things. A couple weeks ago, we talked about one specific aspect of stewardship, which is stewardship of our finances. So we talked about what it looks like to be followers of Jesus who do that. And so this morning, as we continue to explore stewardship, we're going to set aside the financial piece of it, and we're going to look at the other aspects of what it means to be stewards of what God has entrusted to us in our lives. So when we talk about stewardship this morning, we're talking about the relationships that he's put into our lives. We're talking about the careers and the jobs that he's entrusted to us. Talking about our families. We're talking about our possessions. We're talking about our gifts and abilities. And maybe the biggest idol in the room is we're talking about our time. And so all of those things fall under what we would call stewardship. And verse 14 sets the stage for what we as Christians believe that God has given us, he has entrusted to us everything that we have. Not just our money, but everything else. Everything you have has been entrusted to you. And that's what we believe as Christians. All that I have, it's not because Ryan went out and earned it. It's not because I went out and got what was mine. I believe, we believe that all we have is just like Jesus says. It has been entrusted to us. It belongs to God, and it's been entrusted now to us as his people. And that's what we mean when we talk about stewardship, is that you have been entrusted by God with what you have. So your marriage, that's been entrusted to you, but not just for your satisfaction, not just for your fulfillment, but as stewards, all we have is given to us for his purposes. So we view marriage differently than the world. Marriage is not where I go to get my personal, emotional, relational, and sexual satisfaction. I will find those things there. But as a steward, as one who follows after Jesus, marriage is so much more than just those things. I steward my marriage for the kingdom. I steward my marriage for the glory of God. My career, your career, whatever job you've got, whether you think it's great or whether you're looking for a new one, you're a steward of it. It's not just where you go to make a paycheck. It's not just where you go to climb a ladder. That is a place where God has positioned you for his kingdom. And you, therefore, are a steward of that company. You're a steward of that position that you might use it for his glory and his kingdom. And your time, your abilities, your talents, those things are not there to bring honor and glory and gratification to you. 
Those things exist because he has entrusted them to you to use for his kingdom. And if you have kids, if you have a family, those children have been entrusted to you, that family has been entrusted to you to use for his kingdom and for his glory, not just for your own satisfaction. And so I, I take a second, kind of step outside of that for just a minute, and I want to talk to the parents in the room, whether your kids are grown or whether they're babies right now. And I have this burden on my heart for, for parents in the church because one of the things that I see is this misguided theology that we practice as parents, where we, we begin to not see our children as a gift given to us to steward for God's purposes, but all of a sudden we begin to fall into the mindset of the world, which is where my job as a parent, is to pour into my kids that they might what? That they might get the best job possible, that they might go to the best school possible, that they might become the best them possible. And so we begin to misprioritize as stewards of our children where all of a sudden teaching my kid to be the smartest they can be is the highest value or teaching them to be the best athlete or musician or artist they can be is the highest value. And so we pour our time and our attention and our effort into those things. And then we push discipleship down to the bottom of the list. Now, don't hear me wrong, moms and dads. I'm with you in that boat. I've got three. I want my kids to be the best students they can be. That's why I sit there and do homework every week. I want my kids to be great at sports. That's why I'm coaching seven-year-old boys soccer this season. That's not for me. I want them to enjoy sports. But above those things, that's not my highest call. I have not been given my children to steward them to become academically successful or successful in their recreational activities. That's not my job. That's part of it. But my highest priority, my highest value as a steward of my children is that I would teach my kids what it means to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. So whether my kids become doctors or whether they put in 30 years at Stater Brothers down the street, it does not matter. As long as I taught them and modeled for them what it means to know and love and follow Jesus. And as the church, as moms and dads in the church, we can get sucked into what our culture teaches us about what it means to be a parent, what it means to be an employee, what it means to have your time, your schedule, your calendar, and your activities and your abilities. And we can fall into thinking that all of those things serve a purpose other than the one God has for us, which is his purpose. And so as Christians, we want to get that right. Now, our culture would tell me that everything I have in my life needs to somehow be twisted and bent and oriented so that it satisfies the needs, the desires, and the wants of who? Me. It's all about how do I bring it all back to fulfilling my ultimate desires and the fulfillment of my own ambitions for satisfaction. And then Jesus says, no, 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 no. Everything you have has been given to you by my Father. He entrusts it to you for a purpose, and that purpose is not so that you can be satisfied. Now, you will be satisfied in it, but only when you realize that that's not the highest value of what it means to be a steward.
And so we begin the conversation with that. Jesus points us in the direction of verse 14. God owns it. He entrusts it to you, and it's for his glory, his purpose, not your own. Now, in 2015, when I came back from overseas, uh, my commander of my unit left. There was a vacancy. And so as one of the platoon leaders, as a lieutenant, I kind of threw my hat in the ring to take his job, to become company commander. And so I got it. Now, part of being a commander of a unit means that you have what's called a property book. And it means that every single piece of equipment from the smallest tool to the biggest vehicle, as the commander, you sign for it. You put your name on a piece of paper and says, I will steward this for the United States government. And if something were to go wrong with that wrench or that vehicle, I will pay for it, which is a stupid idea. I don't know where we got this. And so I go through the inventory, I check every wrench all the way up to every truck and everything in between, and I sign for it. And then I do the job for 18 months, and as I go to transition out of the job, it's time for me to give back what was never mine to begin with. And so we go through the inventory process, and it's painstaking as you pull out every wrench and tool and every vehicle and piece of that vehicle. And they go through the inventory, and they find out that three laptops were missing. I'd never even seen these laptops. I kind of just signed the paper for him. Should have seen him. My bad. Now, here's the interesting thing. As an officer, well, here's the difference. If I were to give that to one of my NCOs, my sergeants, if they were to lose, like if they were legitimately, if they were to lose a tank, I don't know how you would do it, but if you did it and you lost a tank, an NCO would be charged no more than three months pay, right? You could lose a jet, three months pay no big deal, and you're off the hook. As an officer, if I lose anything, I pay the full value of it. So if I lose a tank, I owe the government like $15 million, and they are legitimately, you know the government, they're coming for that. And so I lost three laptops. I didn't even lose them. I don't even know what happened to them. I just never even saw them. Three laptops. Now, another thing about the government, they spend too much on everything that's not worth what they spend on it, right? I mean, that's just the government in a nutshell. And so these three Dell laptop computers, they were 2,500 each. I could go to Best Buy or Offer Up in this neighborhood, and I can get you three laptops for like 200 bucks and a sandwich. I could do it. But the government comes to me and says, 2,500 bucks each, right? And I got to pay for it. Now, by the grace of God, they just forgave the debt eventually because I just didn't pay it. That's not, that's not financial advice. I'm just saying that's what happened. <laughs> but that lesson taught me something. The government's going to be okay. Don't worry. They t- that, uh, that lesson taught me something. Steward. I've got all that stuff. I'm responsible for it. But a day came where I had to give it all back. So I held on to it, but it was never really mine. But I was responsible for what happened to it. And the same thing is true of everything that God has given you. You're hanging on to it your career, whatever money you got, whatever stuff you got, whatever family you got, you're hanging on to it. You're stewarding it for a purpose outside of yourself. And like Jesus says in verse 19, there's going to come a day where he returns and he settles accounts with each and every one of us. And the question he's asking when I stand before him is not, Ryan, what kind of professional success did Carson, Camden, and Kennedy have? does not care about those things. But I will be held accountable 
for Ryan, do Carson, Camden, and Kennedy know me? Did you show them what it means to follow me with all your heart? And as a steward of everything he's given me, I I will stand before him and I will be held accountable for those things. All I've got, all you've got, we're just stewards of it. Verse 15, the the story continues. Don't worry, that's not every verse. We're not going to take that long. Verse 15 says this, to one he gave five bags, to another he gave two bags, and to another he gave one bag. And listen to the caveat, the explanation for why. Each according to their ability. And there's two aspects of that principle. One of them is kind of a gut punch to us, and the other one ought to be a motivator to us. And the gut punch is this. What you have not been entrusted with is because he doesn't think you're able to steward it. And that, I mean, if if we're honest, that kind of hurts my feelings. But God knows what I can and what I cannot handle well. And so rather than seeing that as, God, you're holding out on me, I ought to look at what God does not entrust to me and see that as an act of grace. Because, yeah, maybe I can't handle it. And so in his grace and in his mercy, he doesn't give me the opportunity to steward that which he knows I cannot handle well. And this really hit me hard. I took the job here three years ago. And, I mean, we're a small church, right? You can look around the room and, and this is pretty much it. Smile cheese. Like, this is our church. Now, as a pastor, there's, there can be a tendency to play the, the comparison game. Now, if you're not a pastor, I know you know what the comparison game feels like in life. Because we compare ourselves to other people around us all the time. They've got more or I've got more than them. And so as a pastor, sometimes there's a tendency for us to struggle with, God, why haven't you entrusted me with more? Why haven't you called me to lead a larger group of your people? And so in my own soul, I begin to wrestle with that. Like, God, I feel like I, feel like I could lead at higher levels than you've given me. And I look around at other pastors, and I'm like, I, I feel like I could, I could do what they're doing. And then I begin to grumble in my soul. Because that's what jealousy does. It leads to grumbling. And I begin to wrestle with God about, God, when, when are you going to either bring us to that place or when are you going to bring me to that place and, and give me a bigger platform or give me a, a greater sphere of influence that I can use for your kingdom? And then he brought me last year to this passage in my own devotions and verse 15 was that gut punch. Orion, I haven't entrusted that to you because you can't handle it. And to be honest, that hurts my feelings. No, I think I could, God. Can I have the chance? No, you're not ready for it. You can't handle that. And so, not because I'm angry with you, not because I don't love you, but because in my grace, I will not give you what you cannot steward well. And so the same is true for us. Yeah, could God give me more money? He could. Could I spend that money? I can. But could I steward that money? Probably not. 
God, I want more influence. Maybe you want more influence in your career, in your profession. I want want to hit that next level. I, I know I could handle it. I could do that job. But could you steward that job? And in his grace, he will not entrust to us that which is beyond our ability to steward well. And that's not because he's withholding. That's because he's pouring grace on you and I. Because he's not going to give us more than we could steward well. Now, the challenge then is the other aspect of verse 15. The motivator is this. What he has given you, he believes wholeheartedly that you can steward well. The family he's given you, he believes you can steward it well. The job he's given you, he believes you can steward that well. It might not be the job you want. It might not be the job you think you deserve, but it's the job that you can steward well. It might not be the bank account that you want, but it's the one that you can steward well. And so that ought to be a motivator to us as as people who follow after Jesus, that he believes I can steward these things. So maybe he's given you five bags. Maybe he's given you two. Or to be honest, maybe he's given you the one. But the call for each of us is the same. Not to produce the same, but the call is to bear the same. So if he's given you five, great, run with it. Steward it and bring him five more. If he's given you two, awesome. Steward it and bring him two more. If he's given you one, great. Steward it and bring him one more. Because in his grace, he knows that that's what you can steward. In his grace, he knows that's all I can steward. And I'm grateful to him for that. And we looked at verse 16. Right now, they've got what they've gotten, and now they go about it. Listen to how the first one responds. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags, he went at once. And that kind of catches me. So he knows the master's going away for a long time, but look at his response to when the master gives him something. At once, he goes out. He knows the master's not coming back right away, and yet at once he goes out and does it. The point that Jesus is drawing out of this is there's a sense of urgency. Man, I want to do this, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not next season, but right now. Right now, I want to steward well what he's given me. And at once, the man went out and did it. And the the reality is, is that though this ought to move us to urgency in our stewardship, more often than not in the church, we give excuses for stewardship. We will always come up with reasons why, using my time, using my possessions, using my abilities and my gifts, why using all of those things doesn't make sense right now. And the excuses sound differently in each of our seasons and yet they are still just that. When we're young, it's, God, I'm, I'm getting into my career, or I've got to pour everything into my career to get it going on the right track. And so when I get that career, and, and when it gets moving in the right direction, then I can dial back a little bit, and I can steward what you've given me for your kingdom. 
But then we move on to that. And then your career gets going. And then you start to have kids and you have even less time than you ever imagined you thought you could. And now it becomes, God, okay, when these kids are out of my house and when I'm nearing the end of my career where I can kind of dial back a little bit, then, then I'll use my time and my abilities to invest for your kingdom. But right now, God, I'm just, the one thing I want in life is I want sleep, right? My mom's and dad's in the room. Wake up. I'm talking to you. That, and that's my season right now. Got those three kids, got my career, and, and I'm tired. I just want to sleep. My soul just wants to sleep. In fact, I was excited this weekend. Last night, I told Taylor, you know what we should do when we get home? We should go to bed early. That's what we should do. And so we did it. And for the first half of the night, every hour on the hour, a different kid woke up with something. First up was Cammy. He wanted to sleep in bed with us. So he slept in bed with us. He woke us up to get in bed, woke me up to go back into his bed. And then it was Kennedy. An hour later, she needed something. Get up, go give it to her. Then at 12 o'clock, it was Carson as he's got food poisoning and he's on the floor in the hallway throwing up. And at 12.17, I'm in my pajamas half asleep, cleaning vomit off the floor. And I'm saying, I just want sleep. But I've got to preach. And so it's easy for me in those seasons. That's one night. I got 18 years to go. And I'm miserable. I'm just kidding. Blessing from the Lord. An arrow in the quiver, as they say in the Psalms. And so we look at that and I can be like, man, Lord, when I get more energy, when I get more time, and maybe when I get more money, then I can invest for your kingdom. But then here's the thing. My empty nesters holla back at you. You know, when the kids leave the house and the career settle down, all of a sudden you like wake up and you feel older. Am I right? And it's I'm not there. Sorry. I don't know. I'm assuming it's true. But man, now I don't have the energy I used to have. And so God, you'll give me a pass in this one, right? I don't have the energy anymore. So the expectation is less. And pretty soon we're, we're, pretty soon we're verse 19. We're settling accounts. And every season along the way, we've always given ourselves an excuse about God. This is why right now I don't have the time. I don't have the opportunity or the ability to invest for you in your kingdom. And I'm not talking about money. Set money aside. I don't have the time. And then we fall into a mindset of verse 18. That's what happens when you make excuses. Pretty soon you're verse 18. The guy goes out and he what? He digs a hole and he buries it. And you can make the excuses. All you, I'm not trying to harsh on anybody. I'm in the boat with you. Excuses only ever satisfy the one giving them. And the same is true when you and I stand before Jesus. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I am trying to call each of us to faithfulness to the gospel. And the gospel is this. When we settle accounts, you can't pull it out of the, the hole you dug and give it to him and say, let me tell you why it didn't work out. That's what the, that's what the servant does. He gives it to the Lord and he says immediately, the excuses begin. I know what kind of guy you are. I know how you work. I know this, I know that. So here, let me just give you back what you gave me. And that is not going to fly. Because we are each stewards of everything God has entrusted to us, whether small or big. 
And the Lord wants to see, what have you invested in for my kingdom? Not what career did your kid get, not what title did you get, not how big was your retirement or did you retire? None of those questions are going to be on his mind. What'd you do with what I gave you to steward for my kingdom? And Jesus is clear, man. Woe to the person who comes with an excuse. May we be people who steward it well. And the last verse we look at is verse 16. The second half of it. So he went at once and what? He put his money to work. And that's what I leave us with this morning. Is to have that same mindset. I'm a steward of everything he's given me. Whether I think it's enough or whether I think it's enough. Whether I think it's not enough or whether I think it's enough. I'm a steward of it. And I'm going to go out there with a sense of urgency and I'm going to put it to work so that when I stand before him, I'll be able to say, Lord, you entrusted me with this. Look what I've borne fruit for, your kingdom. I've raised up children who know you and follow you because I modeled it for them the best I could. I use my career not just to get a title on the door or to put money in the bank, but look at what a difference I made in that company. Whether I mopped the floors all 30 years or I had the nicest office at the end of it, look what I did here. Your name was proclaimed there. Look what I did with the abilities you gave me. I went out there and I served other people with whatever you gave me. Whether it's a gift that puts you in front of people or whether it's a gift that has you quietly serving them. I put to work what you gave me. Whatever you've got, put it to work for the kingdom's benefit and the glory of God. That's what Jesus is calling us to in this parable. Whatever you've got, put it to work for the kingdom of God and for his glory. That we might be stewards who can stand before him and hear him say on that day, man, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come in and share your master's happiness. Whether you had five bags or two bags or one bag, the response is the same. Well done. You took what I gave you and you put it to work for my kingdom. And I'm pleased with you not because you earned it, not because you worked for it, but because you took my love and, my, and your faith and it manifested itself in righteous living and action. So we're going to go into a time of open worship right now. Right? The worship team is going to come back up. Open worship in our tradition of friends is just a few moments of quiet where we sit before the Lord and we say, Lord, here's what you're speaking to my heart. Here's how I want to respond in obedience to that. It's a few moments of silence for us to each consider what God is calling us to this morning. And so I'm going to pray for us while the team comes up and plays in the background, and then I'll come back up and close that time in prayer.